Welcome back to Your 1230. I'm Mike Salitra, your host. This is the podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of only 12 questions in 30 minutes. Today we are joined by Harry Robinson. Harry is a journalist, podcaster, and documentary filmmaker from the UK. His focus is on subgroups in society such as cults and religious sects, amongst other things. He likes to explore the controversial and fascinating. Harry, welcome. We are very excited to have you here today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for, yeah, giving me, <laughs> I don't know, choosing to speak to me. Of course, of course. And uh, I'll start there with the end of the bio. Um, how did you, you know, the journalist piece we'll get to second, but how did you decide that was the lane of journalism you wanted to focus on? In terms of documentaries or the kind of fascinating? The the controversial and fascinating piece. So so originally, I mean, like most maybe it, it's it's probably i mean i went i was in the u.s briefly and it was kind of similar most lads when they go into journalism at a young age they go into like sports and that was me and then it was a lot of football this is like soccer um and and mixed martial arts or whatever and then and i was interviewing these kind of ex-footballers and stuff and then one day i got the opportunity when i was about 15 16 to interview um a, a woman called laura johnston cole who was a survivor of jonestown uh and i'd always kind of been like maybe fascinated by the the taboo and and that kind of stuff uh and i was probably as a you know in terms of my kind of experience in in interviewing grossly underprepared to deal with such a a massive topic but i sat there and talked to her for maybe about two hours and she was very open and 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 really spilled everything out to me and it just felt a lot more one meaningful and also just more captivating than anything else I've ever done. And I guess since then I've kind of had a bug of, I've caught the bug of of, of searching for these kind of groups and these people in, in society that I don't know, like that have have maybe led quite complex lives or, or stuff that maybe it, it, it becomes fascinating to empathize or sympathize with their situation, despite the fact that their situation itself is so alien to maybe quote unquote normal living. You know, I, I like that answer. And when we first spoke, Harry, you made a lot of sense to me as far as why you focus on, on these topics and you use the words meaningful and captivating and wrote them down. And I think that makes sense, especially in uh, comparison to not to take anything away from, uh, you know, retired soccer players, but, um, you know, they just have more to talk about in some of these circles. Absolutely. So how, how do you, and to use another term you uh, use there, grossly underprepared, how do you prepare for, for these conversations when they are, um, let's say, not common to what your audience is going to see and probably not the same life experiences you've had? How have you found, uh, how have you found preparation or how have you been able to prepare so you can uh, present yourself as somebody who is uh, a worthy uh, conversationalist? See, I think it took a while. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people in that kind of ilk, but I think it took a while to maybe properly have the the substance and the and the minerals to to really interview someone who's who's undergone that because it can all, almost seem like you've got to give these people and their stories, and oftentimes their trauma, the respect that it deserves by asking the tough questions. But I was always, I mean, growing up, I was quite so. I mean, I, I liked being friends with people and 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 being funny in kind of that situations, but socially awkward is probably a word I would use in terms of, I don't know, striking conversations with certain people, and you've got to almost break that barrier. I, and for me personally, I, I'm a 
And I found that when I, I, I filmed my uh, documentary, if you, if you're dealing with people that are maybe a bit on the more on the controversial side to ask questions that, that generate maybe thoughts that ethically challenge you or, or can almost feel uncomfortable often means that you're on the right lines. Or if you're touching on really maybe sensitive issues that you, you know, for me, like it may get a bit of a pit in your stomach feeling like I'm, I'm walking on kind of eggshells a bit here and I need to deal with it well. That's the important bit because you want people to feel that same feeling. Otherwise, you're, in my opinion, you're maybe not giving these people and their stories the respect and the gravitas that they require. Okay, and if you could talk a little bit about that, the the respect piece, and then how their stories are kind of portrayed in in your in your movie, and why 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 that it's important to to give them that platform in the in the first place. So, see, this was a, a the, the the idea of a platform is something that is is a really weird like fine line. I, I believe personally that because sometimes when you deal with so the, so the group so in 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 my documentary the real black sabbath the group is the isupk and they're registered as a as a hate group and i i enjoyed the kind of idea of exploring that but you can sometimes get immediate pushback of the fact that like you shouldn't give groups that are listed as a hate group the platform to maybe talk about what they believe in because there are parts in the documentary where they share their beliefs and it's inherently hateful in my opinion I think people, certainly people who seek out those kind of, that kind of medium and people who like to watch documentaries, but also just general people are intelligent enough to hear someone's viewpoints and then have their own opinions about it instead of just soaking in everything that maybe someone is saying. Um, so so that that kind of uh, idea of, of platform is a, is a weird fine line but then also the the respect side of it as a journalist you've got to remain objective and there's also there's a difference between objective and unbiased i guess because i find myself multiple times like there's parts in the documentary where um the the group talk about their views on uh homosexuality their views on on certain races of people and it's it's this weird kind of chess match because you have to push back to a, to a degree and, and you certainly have to show that you don't agree with with that but at the same time like there's a there's an interviewer in, in the UK um he used to run he called Piers Morgan i mean he he had some shows in the in the US um i i greatly dislike Piers Morgan's interview style because he will interview Whoever he interviews, and obviously he's had a lot of success, but he will shout them down. And I've seen documentaries that he's done where he's interviewed the most dangerous women ever. And there's not enough of the kind of real conversations. It's a lot of shouting down. And and you don't maybe get the real substance of people's stories. I mean, the, the people that I interviewed in um in the documentary, whilst their beliefs were inherently hateful and I disagreed with their beliefs and stuff. When you scratch back the surface, their backgrounds were maybe a lot more complex and, and made you think a bit more. But then the idea of maybe sympathizing with these people is conflicting in itself, which again leads back to the fact that I, I think that's when you touch on the the good stuff on the side of interviewing. 
Yeah, I want to get into the the journalistic and, and the good stuff on the interview, but you mentioned objective versus unbiased. If you could just go into that a little bit further, what what do you mean, or what would be a good example of that? So, it, it, using the documentary as an example, not to kind of you know carry on banging on, but like, um, or, or for instance, so uh, in the UK we have uh, Ofcom guidelines, so uh, the. If you're reporting on the news, you have to remain objective. It, it's different in the US. The US kind of follows the same line as what our newspapers do, where you can have more of a political opinion uh, and stuff like that. So say if you're in, doing politics, you kind of have to have two sides. But say if you're doing a news story on something grossly on you know, murder, or for an example, you wouldn't get someone who would defend murder. That's being objective. You have the line that... the you don't need two sides to argue that because um, it, it's very apparent. And I guess, it, so in the documentary, there's there's parts where I think that the Captain Ugarwap, who's the, the leader of the, the local branch in Oklahoma, would talk about, um, he said that the Pope was a homosexual and that he, uh, because he, he touched kids, he said that, that transgender people aren't really people. And that's especially the kind of transgender line and their views on on uh, homosexuality and the views on uh, Jewish people as well. The kind of anti-Semitism is was when I pushed back and was when I, I really questioned them. You've got to really grill them. But then at the same time, like you've got to treat your the viewers or, or whoever is consuming the material as intelligent enough that when they're talking about very inherently hateful stuff that is so blatantly, I guess, not normal views in terms of like, they're very clearly antagonistic views said by the group. Um, you can put, you push back, but also not at the detriment of ruining the interview, I guess. But again, that's why it's a fine line. That's why when I edited the documentary, I found myself really uncomfortable because you've got to make sure that I, I wanted to come across that I'm defending and uh, defending the, you know, the the people who were quote unquote victims of of what was being said. You know, the Jewish community and, and LGBTQ plus kind of um, people who may be watching. But at the same time. You've got to do it in a way that doesn't maybe sever all ties during the interview. It's a very complex thing, but I, I found that me when I felt really uncomfortable, I kind of realized that that that's the important maybe topics to highlight and and you know it, sometimes it's important to put groups like this and give them a platform to then show these people exist and you deconstruct uh, their views because otherwise some people can get swept up as you, you, you know, have in society where people get swept up in conspiracy culture or, or cults or, you know, kind of subsect, subsections of society or hate groups. If you're not dissecting these groups and you're not um, picking apart their, their beliefs that should be picked apart, then I guess people, I believe anyway, that, that people might get swept up, if you get what I mean. 
I do, and that was one of the uh, things I had hoped we'd discuss as far as what you feel your responsibility as a filmmaker is. You mentioned that you feel the intellig- the audience is often intelligent enough to, to kind of make their own choices, and that's who's watching the video. But I'm sure there's a percentage, and I don't know what percentage that is, that kind of view this as uh, shock, awe, and perhaps a recruitment tool. Um, so how do you how do you go about either not... Uh, not furthering a message that either you don't believe or one that would do more harm than good. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was always something that was on my mind. I've in the past, uh, when I was 17, 18, I interviewed um, a, a neo-Nazi or the head, the head of the, the national socialist party in the U S and after I like I felt it it was more of a debate really it wasn't really an interview I wanted to try and find the crux of why this person believed these hateful views and it was a lot of me going with your viewership is your your view sorry are are flawed and hateful and prejudiced and there's no real reason for it but at the same time like people I I, and I was what I I was younger then and maybe uh, and I it always did play in my mind afterwards that like the people that were maybe searched, you know, the kind of want to soak up neo-Nazi views will do. And they will they will watch it and they'll go, oh, well, that interviewer doesn't understand. So in terms of the documentary, I'd interview and I'd push back at points and I'd soak in views that I I believe that the the whoever was watching it, you know, kind of normal-minded people, I guess, or people who who show a bit of compassion understand that everything's wrong and i would but i if, if i didn't push back then then i'd have a, a voiceover that would try and i guess summarize and say my views in terms of that dissecting why i guess these people believe this as well as saying how wrong it is i mean the way i summed it up was and I, i've summed it up to to kind of people who have asked like the 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 views are are hateful and and can't be compared to like say Black Lives Matter, who which which um the kind of views and purpose I believe is um you know meaningful and 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 good. Um, but these people gave off the vibe to me that they had been downtrodden as black men, mainly black men, uh, African American men in in society, and instead of turning it towards protesting and maybe the kind of mass demonstrations that we had a couple of years ago, both in the UK and in the US, they turned it into this kind of weird pseudo Hebrew religion that was in, instead of being angry at the police and society for kind of institutional racism, they then instead um, were, were angry at white people as a whole and put it down to oh well then it must be that things get fixed in the afterlife and that we're going through a kind of prophetic struggle and then when we all die and the most high takes us to the afterlife then white people will be our slaves and um there's kind of comeuppance i guess um yeah well yeah that, that that's but you've got you've got to kind of find maybe this this line when when interviewing where when they maybe go into the kind of more biblical and preachy 
ramblings, I, I would argue, that you let people soak in that and take make of that what they will. Especially, I mean, I at the time I was living in Oklahoma on the Bible Belt, and I myself am not religious, but I found myself in my day-to-day life having to be almost a bit more not careful with my words because it's not like I was very anti-religion, but like a bit more tetchy because everyone was was a lot more, I guess, uh, religious around me. And it was kind of the same there where these people had a belief. I'm not going to go and say their beliefs are wrong, but I was I was more pushing back in terms of saying that their views were morally and, and ethically incorrect. So how do you balance when you are either interviewing, when you're putting a film like this together, your personal beliefs versus how you conduct yourself, and then ultimately you are ingratiating yourself into a group like this, you know, the thought, why should they talk to you? Why should they give you access? So how do you balance all of those things? So, I mean, personally, I'm a big believer in the fact that, like, as much as I am on screen and it's always been my dream to do a, a documentary, I'm very aware of the fact that the people who tune in for the documentary... 99% or whatever aren't tuning in because it's me interviewing. Uh, I guess that for, for a lot of journalists, that might be the goal. But, it, you know, this is my first film, first foray into a video, like a feature video medium of interviewing, like long form. So people are there to hear the beliefs. So then I would, or, or I guess the, the kind of documentation of this group. Um, and I would argue possibly the most objective kind of reporting of this group that I saw in all my research. Um, so I, I gave my opinions at various points and, and you can certainly gauge my opinion when I'm pushing back at certain points, but I was never ever trying to go in and, and film a documentary that was scoped in a way to fit my beliefs. It, you know, before going out there, I knew full well that I disagree with with their their hateful views, but I was never going to make it. At, oh, you know, here's a British journalist going and shouting down at a group of people who have different lived experiences to me, and you know, and also maybe from a from a less kind of ethical and um, uh, high, holier than thou kind of answer. It also doesn't make it very interesting if I go and just say all oh, your views are wrong. Um, and then in terms of me getting access and, and that kind of stuff, I so originally when I called up Captain Yugawa, uh, I, I I called up with this with this idea of like you know I'm a Brit. I think I was maybe seen differently than every other reporter that had ever turned up because as much as the kind of access for me being white was very limited usually like and there's normally a lot of pushback and kind of and and it was like like that when i met other people in the group the fact that i was british kind of overarched a lot of that especially in a place like oklahoma where um they where there's not a lot of you know they don't see a lot of british people i I noticed that quite quickly that oklahoma don't get very many british tourists um so i called up captain you go up and and they by chance, everyone had COVID. Um, so, and he was like, can we push it? You know, we, I, I'm interested. Let's do it. Let's meet up a week or two weeks down the line. Um, so I called up every day or I messaged every day to check in on him to build this kind of rapport to show him that I'm not 
in to do a hit piece. I, you know, I I see I saw news reports that was very much a case of like, here is this hateful group, and and they put them on the news and they go, everyone hate this hateful group, and it's very easy to do that. And I mean, argue you can argue whether that's right or not to chastise a group that is inherently hateful, but I wanted to get a bit deeper than that. So I build up this rapport with Captain Garp, and I'm, I mean, like, you can kind of maybe see it if you watch the the documentary. That so I knew Captain Yagawa going into our first meeting. I'd never met him in person, but um, Ayash Kabawad, who's behind him, instantly goes to feel me for weapons um, because he's a bit more suspicious. And then at later meetings, they have uh, ISUPK Dallas have come up to help preach on the Sabbath day. Uh, and everyone was very edgy, like from that band, uh, that kind of camp were very tetchy around me and a bit more standoffish. And um, yeah, so in, in in terms of like access, it's a very careful thing of the, these people are inherently suspicious. One is black men because they've been downtrodden so much and also two because I'm a journalist and the kind of instinct, especially in that part of the country is that I'm probably going to either do fake news quote unquote, or do a hit piece on them as has happened to the, you know, on this group multiple times. Yeah. And we, as we discussed that there are reasons and there's value that can come out of a documentary like this to have information that may not be available. Um, But one thing that I have, uh, I'm trying to understand why, why would they want to do something like this? Why would your subjects be interested in, in putting their story out, but giving it to you through your lens as opposed to uh, other methods? I think the fact that I assured them that it wasn't a hit piece was probably... They they, they are so foolhardy in terms of they, they really believe everything they say. And sometimes it seems like there's a bit of pageantry, there's boot kissing, there's kind of battle attire, they call it, where they wear like leather and boots and Kevlar vests. But they believe it all. They are They are so driven in terms of the fact that they believe all of it and if i'm saying i'm going to be objective then they they will also bank on the fact of like the people that that hear their views might buy into it um and you know like if you if you are ready to believe those views i guess and and already have a seed planted in your brain of believing those views then maybe hearing some of the preachings would and i doubt that um, you know, my opinions in the documentary or however way I would have framed it would ever have swayed um, that. And then also, I, I really do think that the fact that I'm British, they saw me as a, as, a, as a British journalist rather than a white person. I mean, if I was, if I fit into the, the ethnic group of either black, Latino or Native American, which is the kind of entry requirement, I think I, I would have gone further. I would have been allowed into their school, like uh, their, you know, temple school. You know, I, I, whereas some people were very ready for me and other people kind of maybe pushed back because on the face of it, I am a white journalist that was turned up, you know, especially before they heard me speak. Um, So yeah, I, I, I think that's probably why they were, they, they really do believe what they say. And, and it's a case of, the, if the right audience hears it, then they believe that the right audience will then turn up to camps and schools and, and that kind of stuff. Okay. Speaking of the right audience, what feedback or response have you received so far? 
It has been unbelievable, to be fair. Two days ago, uh, the film won its second award um, uh, in, a, in a film festival in, in Oklahoma. Um, I mean, you know, this was a, my first film. I filmed it with a good mate, uh, Adam Dickinson, who came out to Oklahoma with me. Neither of us had ever picked up a camera before. I always just knew it was my dream. Uh, I had no budget, and we, he happily agreed to just hold the camera. We'd had one lesson at the university by that time um, on kind of how to work a camera. So he had this big cinema camera that really you should have a tripod or whatever. And he held it for like three hour kind of meetings that we had with the group. Uh, and I, I owe Adam everything really, because he really dropped you know down to, you know, I didn't, I paid Adam in, in food when we were there and taxi fares and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the response has been unbelievable. I mean, I, I also work for, I work for a podcast called Have a Word. Uh, it's a comedy podcast in the UK, and the kind of fans from that have rallied behind, which is so surreal to me that they, <laughs> I guess they watched it because it was me, because they, they'd heard of my name before. And then even then, it was like people would, would message me and go, you know, full disclosure, I, I went on it to show support and, and drop a like, and then I ended up staying for the whole thing. And that, you know, if I can evoke any sort of um, interest, intrigue or real emotion from the film, then that's, you know, a massive win. I couldn't ask for anything else. I think that's that story kind of represents what you're going for in, in presenting this in the beginning, that either there's someone who's interested in supporting you, someone who may be interested in learning something different or somebody's just checking it out. And then because of the way the story is told, sticking around for the whole thing. So uh, that's that's wonderful. Congratulations on the most recent award. Oh, thank you. Uh, looking back, you you mentioned uh, you know having no budget, uh, and I'm sure that there were times when this was difficult. Is there anything you do differently now, looking back at the project? Uh, sentimentally, um, no, because of of the kind of, I guess I can always look back and say that we did this on on a shoestring budget and nothing. I guess practically, um, maybe. I try and find a sound person for the for the first meeting because it really was just me and Adam. Uh, but at the same time, it's like me and him have, have uh, came out with you know, it was me. I, I edited everything. I, it was, I I had sleepless nights just for weeks and weeks and weeks in my room on my laptop. Like I didn't have a computer I on my laptop, editing away. Um, you know, I, I had the guidance of Mike Betcher, who's a, a legendary. Uh, broadcast journalist and has made documentaries before who who really helped me through the process and I can always look back and say that we did that you know through the most we, we turned up with no experience no budget and be studio backed documentaries and films in in two different film festivals I mean, we turned up to the Oregon Film Festival, which was so surreal, and I wore a suit. We were easily the the most dressed people for this film festival because there's people who've been around the block and very kind of film festival types and stuff like that. And they're, they're all very nice, but then some people were kind of like, you know, they've done it all before. And But we were stood at the front with the award at the end of it. I mean, to say that we, we did it out of nothing and out of no experiences is, you know, I guess I'll dine out on that for a long time. <laughs> Very nice. And what's next for you, Harry? Uh, so I, I have, I'm back in the UK now and I have one more year at university. 
Um, so I've just turned 22. So I've got one more year at university. I want to make another documentary whilst I'm at university alongside my kind of dissertation and, and studies and stuff like that. And I, I just want to, my passion's in the filmmaking. I mean, I've not earned a dime from um, this documentary. I've earned a lot of plaudits and stuff. And I, you know, I, I work alongside it. If I can work alongside and then make, you know, follow my passion in my own time, that is enough for me. Yeah, I, I do it for the, for the fact that, you know, since growing up, the idea of documentaries was always like magical to me. And um, yeah, just to, to carry on making stuff, I guess, at my own pace would be, is the, is the goal. Okay. And then just last question for me, anything I didn't ask you today that I probably should have? Um, not really. I, yeah. I, I, the, yeah. The, I, the, I, the whole experience has been amazing. The fact that I'm, I'm even sat here speaking to you about something that I made, you know, uh, you know, such a kind of professional astute interviewer as yourself sends my head west. Cause really I'm, um, I've not moved back into uni yet and I'm sat in a room in a bedroom upstairs in my mum's house. I, I, it feels a bit of imposter syndrome. So thank you for, for speaking to me, Mike. Of course. I appreciate the time today, Harry. And this has been uh, this has been a good conversation and I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Thank you so much.